Well, good morning. It is good to see you, and I, there are, this place is absolutely packed. Let me just say that if you can't find a seat, there is a chapel and a warehouse that's hearing the same message, and I think it's on a two or three minute delay, so if you'll run real quick right now, you can get the whole thing. I want to welcome those of you who are in the chapel and the warehouse. Uh, we're glad that you're along uh, this morning, and uh, all of the campuses, off-site campuses, uh, or maybe you're on the internet watching. We're glad that you're participating with us too. What a great weekend. Hey, listen, let me ask you a question before I get into what I'm going to teach. How many of you have ever experienced bar, um, buyer's remorse? I was going to say borrower's remorse, but <laughs> buyer's remorse. Have you ever experienced buyer's remorse? Do you know what that is? That's when, like, you're going to buy something and it is, like, probably you know, fairly significant. It costs a little bit. And so you got to put a little bit into it. And maybe you've been saving up your money. Maybe it's a car or maybe it's like an iPad, you know, whatever. But you're saving up your money and you're saving or, or else you got a windfall. Somebody gives you a birthday gift or whatever. And you go and you're so excited. Oh, man. And you're standing there in line, you know, with, with whatever it is. And you just can't wait. And, and when it's finally yours, and like if it's an electronic appliance or something, you're peeling off all the wrappers on it. And you, there are just waves of joy washing over you. This is mine. This is what I wanted. And you get in your car. And it might happen in your car on the way home. It might happen a month later. It might happen when you make your first payment. <laughs> you begin to have these feelings of remorse. Why did I do this? And... Will I use it? And how can I afford it? And all of those types of things. You guys have experienced that. In fact, buyer's remorse is why there are no gift receipts on spouses. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a lot funnier than it evidently seemed to be. All right, now I want you to back, back up a little bit. Remember those, those waves of joy. Okay, at the moment of purchase. Remember the waves of joy. Those were not waves of joy. They weren't. They were feelings of intense happiness. This is important because we're going to talk about this today. There is a difference between waves of joy and feelings of intense happiness. Both of them are valid. Both of them you experience. But if you get them mixed up, it can be really confusing uh, in how you live your life and how you respond to things. They're two very similar things. But they're very, very different. Because joy and happiness look alike. But they're very different at their core DNA. Let me give you an example. I've got two apples up here. Do you see them? Two apples. They look a whole lot alike. Let's test it out. All right? This is good. This, you know, we're in a fast right now. This is great. Let me talk about the fast a minute. Can I do that? It has nothing to do with the message, but we're doing a 21-day fast. And some of you are emailing me. You've never fasted at all uh, in your life. And, uh, and, and, you, and you say, I'm a little nervous about this. How do you fast? I mean, do you like not eat anything uh, for 21 days and, and just drink water? And, and my response is, if you want to die, that's, you could do that. <laughs> 
But I eat a little something. You know, just a little something. You figure it out. And do it. That tasted good. All right, let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. I'm going to... You know, I don't think I'm going to bite this one because I'm going to... There's some evidence here that somebody has tried to bite this in the past. There are some teeth marks and they're really, really small teeth marks. Let me explain where I got this. I got this one from Harris Teeter next door. And I got this one off of actually this display in our house um, that um, has all kinds of fruit that, that are pretty. It's nice. There's nothing wrong with this. The problem is if you bite into this like one of my uh, grandchildren did at, over the holidays, uh, you're in for a surprise because the nutritional value is just not there on this one because it's plastic and you'll you know, eat, eat a little bit of paint and, and that type of thing. They look just alike, but they're different in their core DNA. And that's very similar to joy. See, we're going to study the book of Philippians over the next few weeks. We're going to go verse by verse through it. I'm not going to do that today. Today's going to be kind of an overview. But Philippians is a book about joy. In fact, it mentions joy, be joyful, uh, have the joy of the Lord, whatever. It mentions that 17 times in this book, which is like hundreds of times more than it mentions it in any other book in the New Testament. It's just a real small book. So it's all about joy. And so what we want to do is we want to take a look. We want to dig deep and figure out what is the DNA of joy? What is the, the thing that drives, you know, DNA contains the genetic instructions for life in every living organism. You can have just a very small piece of a living organism that contains the DNA and it contains the genetic instructions for life and living. And I think that Philippians contains the genetic instructions for joy, for life and living joy. We want to figure out what is that? What, what, what are the building blocks? What can Philippians teach us about what joy is, how it works, and how we can get it? And today, we're going to talk, just an overview, and we're going to talk about the difference between joy and happiness. Two valid things, but if you get them mixed up, gang, if you get them mixed up, and you pursue happiness when you should be pursuing joy then it will lead you in directions your feelings will lead you in places that will ultimately you will find yourself empty you may find yourself disillusioned having been a pastor for a number of years i know that people ultimately at the end of it will ask the wrong questions come to wrong conclusions and it may leave a bitter taste in your mouth as you, as you try to bite something that you should have taken a bite in another fruit, okay? So now this message is going to be very, very simple. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be simple. We're just going to talk about the difference between joy and happiness. So let's jump in. I'm going to give you three kind of characteristics uh, that I think kind of define the DNA of joy and happiness. Here's the first one. Happiness is what happens to you. Joy is what is produced in you. Okay? Let's say that together. Happiness is what happens to you. Joy is what happen or is produced in you. So happiness is cause and effect. Something happens, happens, happens. 
and it makes you happy. Cause and effect. Let me give you an illustration. Let's have an Oprah moment together here today, shall we? What if I was to say, you know, this is, we're starting into a new year, and the leadership here just thought, here's what we're going to do today. Since you're here on this wonderful Sunday or in the campus or wherever, we're going to give everybody a new car. Oh, man. The keys are falling from the ceiling right now. People are weeping. They're crying. There are people saying, I love this church. I love you, Pastor Greg. I know you love us. I just love you. I have feelings of happiness, and it's just incredible. Why? Because happiness is cause and effect. If someone said, we're giving you cars, you know, some of you are going to go, where do you get the money for that? You know, let's just pretend, okay? <laughs> let's pretend. Just let yourself go. Let's just be happy. If somebody gave you a car, you can be happy. That's normal, right? Cause and effect. Now, the flip side of that is this, cause and effect. If I was to say, nah, we're not doing that. But here is the truth. Somebody just, Usher just gave me a note that said, Somebody just keyed every car in this parking lot. Like that. And I've got your license plate number, and they broke the passenger window on your license plate. And you remember that iPad that you had waves of what you thought was joy, but it was intense happiness when you bought it? They stole it from you. How do you feel now? Do you feel happiness? No. You feel sadness. You feel anger. Some of you want to get back. Some of you will default to complaining because that's what you do best. You know, they really ought to beef up the uh, security around here. I cannot believe this church. What do they do with all their money? You know, that's just the way we are. Okay. So happy because something happened. Sad because something didn't happen or something bad happened. Happiness is something that happens to us joy is quite something different see happiness is external cause and effect i'm happy if the right guy smiles at me in class i'm happy if i get a raise i'm happy if my wife responds to me i'm happy if my kids get good grades i'm happy if the cubs win this world series some of you are not going to be happy for a long time Cause, effect, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. I am happy if it's, it happens. It's okay. That is happiness. You just need to understand it. Joy is internal. And it's produced within. In fact, the Bible calls joy what? A fruit of the Holy Spirit. A fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's see how that works. Look at Galatians 5.22. When the Holy Spirit controls our life, when the Holy Spirit controls our life, that would be a good thing to underline. When the Holy Spirit controls our life, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what it's saying is this. When, when I become a Christ follower, 
when I step across the line from being a seeker to a Christ follower, when I respond to God's invitation to me to be a part of His family, I become a Christ follower. I repent of my sin. I say, Jesus died for my sin. And I'm going to be a part of your family. When that happens, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me, He plants seeds of love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. The fruits of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Plants seeds. As I, according to this Scripture, when the Holy Spirit controls our life, as I give control of my life, which really is a gradual process for most of us. As I give control of my life and more and more parts of my life, guess what happens? The seeds begin to grow. The fruit begins to grow inside of me. So Philippians 1 and verse 11 tells us what God's will is. A lot of, people, a lot of times people ask me, what's God's will for my life? Well, here's a part of God's will for your life. May you always... Be filled with the fruit of your salvation. What's the fruit of my salvation? I got saved. I became a Christ follower. The Holy Spirit came and lived inside of me, planted seeds of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of that. So may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Those good things that are produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Next verse, Philippians 4 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. He says, here's the goal of a spirit filled believer. Here's the goal of a Christ follower is to always be full of joy. That your joy doesn't come and go. That's happiness. Happiness comes and goes as a result of circumstances. Something happens, you're happy. Something doesn't happen, you're not happy. But a goal of a Spirit-filled believer is that their joy, which looks like happiness, but it's not the same thing. It's two different things at the core, but it has similar kind of response, physical response. Your joy remains. That you always be filled with joy. Because joy doesn't come and go depending on what happens to me. Happiness is what happens to you. Joy is produced in you. That's the first thing about the DNA. Let me give you a second one. Happiness is insecure. Joy is confident. Happiness is insecure. Joy is confident. What do I mean by that? Happiness is a moving target. See, the list of what it takes to make me happy is always increasing. Would you agree with that? Look what the Bible says about it. Proverbs 27, 21. It says, Just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. The list of what it takes to make me happy is an ever-increasing, changing target. Let me give you an example. Do you remember that iPad that you got for Christmas or that you bought that you had waves of what? Intense happiness. Not joy, because it was happiness. Waves of intense happiness, and then somebody stole it. Let's, let's pretend like nobody stole it. You still got it. It made you very happy, right? Made you very happy. Here's the problem. Wait till the first quarter of next year when Apple announces they're putting a camera in the next generation. 
yours is suddenly obsolete. How do I know? Because I want a new one. I'm so tired of this one. (laughs) Debbie, we've got to spend some money on the one with the camera. But I thought this one was going to be good. You could preach from it and have fun with it and all. Yes, but I need a camera. Why? Because what it takes to make me happy is an ever-increasing moving target. Would you agree with that? Am I the only one in this place that's kind of like that? No, that's you too, okay? So you're no longer happy. It will take you more to make you happy. Today's contentment becomes the source of tomorrow's complaining because what it takes to make you happy is a moving target. Now let's look at joy. Joy is confident. It's consistent. It's not an ever-changing standard, but an ever-growing reality. The fruit of the Spirit grows. How? The more I get to know God. The more I spend time with Him. The more I do things like fast and pray. Fasting just disconnects me from the world for a season and and connects me more to God. The more I grow. the, the, The more I allow Him to control how I respond. What my attitude is. What my actions are. The more I become filled with the Holy Spirit. Which here's one of the ways. Is when faced with a decision... My question is not, my prevailing question is not, what will make me happy? My prevailing question is, will this honor God? And as I move more and more in that, then fruit of joy grows in my life. Whether it's what I wear, whether it's who I date, whether it's you know where I live, whatever it happens to be, do I take this job or not? Will it make me happy? Wrong question. Because that's temporary, it's a valid thing, but it comes and goes, and you can chase crazy stuff. Joy comes when I say, will this honor God? God, I yield my life to You. And the more and more He controls me and my decisions, the more the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, the quality of my life gets better. Does that make sense? So as I learn to cultivate joy, the more I can experience God's peace in times of uncertainty. In fact, right after telling us in Philippians 4.4 that we ought to always rejoice, that it needs to be a constant thing with us, he goes on and he says this. In verse 6, don't worry about anything. How many of you are there? You got that whipped. (laughs) Okay, all right. There was somebody darn near perfect right back here. No, I didn't see anybody. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. If you will do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. What an incredible promise. He says, if you'll remain in joy and allow joy to grow, then when disturbing circumstances come you go to instead of worrying when you begin to worry you go okay no i'm not going to do that because that doesn't get me anywhere and so instead with thanksgiving i make my request known to god and he gives me another one of these fruits or he allows it to grow it's already there he allows it to grow to where that there's peace that doesn't make any sense and my neighbor or my friend my husband or wife or brother or sister goes you ought to be a lot more worried about that and you go well no i've given it to god and it's just this crazy thing there's a sense of peace 
inside of me that grows. So how do you get there? How do you get there? Knowing that happiness is what happens to you, joy is what is produced in you, that happiness is insecure because it's a moving target and joy is secure because it's an ever-growing, producing thing. So how do you get there? How do you get to where you're living in joy? And that's the third thing I want to talk about, most important thing. This is what I wanted to get to in this teaching. Happiness is defined by the facts. Joy is defined by the truth. Happiness is defined by the facts. Joy is defined by the truth. What do I mean by that? With happiness, if the facts are favorable, happiness increases. Would you agree with that? Okay. In business, if there are good economic indicators, or in the government, if there are good economic indicators, things are going the right way, the arrow's going up, whatever it happens to be, you're happy. Man, that produces happiness. Uh, if, the, if the doctor's report, or if the, the report is good, then what? You're happy, okay? Because that's just it, the facts. Happiness depends on the facts. And, and vice versa, if uh, the economic indicators, if your portfolio is going south, you're not happy. Because the facts say things are bad. You know, if you get a bad report, the cancer's growing or whatever it happens to be, then, you know, the, the happiness is defined by the facts. But here's the problem. The facts don't always convey the truth. Are you tracking with me here? The facts don't always convey the truth. For example, have you ever seen an expense report? <laughs> okay. All right, let me do another one. Um, okay, for Christmas, we had Christmas at our house, fun, open presents and all of that. And one of my kids gave me a really nice shirt. Really, really, and we're talking really nice. This thing costs some, I mean, I'm worth it, but it costs some money, you know, it costs some money. So they gave me a nice shirt and uh, I looked at it. And the first thing I did was look at the, at the tag that says the size that it was because I didn't want to get my hopes up because it might be the wrong size, but it had a gift receipt on it. But, but the size was right. The facts were, this shirt is going to fit, because it's the size that I wear. The facts don't always convey the truth. So I went to put the shirt on. <laughs> Gang, I'm going to have to fast till April <laughs> in order just to get it buttoned. Because there was another factor and that factor was it was a slim fit slim fit is of the devil okay (laughs) that is a demon possessed shirt i'm taking it back i don't want that in my closet because the facts don't always convey the truth i want you to get this there's such a great story in the Bible. It's in Romans. It actually happened in the Old Testament. It's um, Abraham. You remember Abraham, Sarah? God promised Abraham. Abraham's an old guy, 75 years old. God comes to him. He's never had a kid. His wife's been barren all her life. God comes to him and he says, you're going to be like the Surratts. <laughs> you're going to have kids everywhere, you know. And, and he says, look outside, see the sky, all the stars. You're gonna, kids are going to have... You're, there are going to be nations that are going to come from you. There's going to be more than the stars and the sand that you're walking on, more than the sand, just to give him faith to let him see that every day. That's all he could see 
in that part of the world. And then 25 years later, nothing has happened. And then if you fast forward in the story, at 100 years old, he has a kid, miracle, whatever. But in Romans 4, it talks about just before he had that kid, 25 years later, if you can imagine how he's feeling. It says, when God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations, Abraham believed him. God had also said, your descendants will be as numerous, numerous as the stars and even though such a promise seemed utterly impossible. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he knew. Even though he knew. He knew what? He knew the facts. Happiness depends on the facts. Joy depends on the truth. Abraham knew the facts. What were the facts? Let's look at it. He knew that he was too old to be the father, be a father at the age of 100, and that Sarah, his wife, had never been able to have kids. He knew that. But Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything that he promised. His quality of life, I would argue was was greater because he did not he was not um, just contained by the facts he uh, was motivated by the truth he said God can do whatever he promised see the facts in your situation may not indicate that happy times are ahead you may have been downsized by a bad economy you may be flunking at what you thought you were going to take in college and was going to be the ticket for you. You may not be able to make the team. You may have gotten a bad report. The child that you prayed for may be far from God. The list goes on and on and on and on. So how do you have joy no matter what? You put your faith, not in the facts, but in the truth, the promises of God. See, Abraham had a covenant with God. God came to Abraham and he said, if you'll do this, I'll do this. He had God's word. He had a covenant. God had promised him some things based on the covenant. You say, well, you know what? If I had a covenant with God, maybe I could stand in faith and believe even though the facts are whatever they are. You know what? If you're a believer, you're in covenant with God. Can I just say just for a minute, this message is for believers today. If you're kind of outside the family of faith, I'm glad you're here. And I'm going to invite you to be a part of the family of faith in just a few minutes. But but what I'm talking about here on the joy side doesn't apply to you. About the best you can hope for is happiness, okay? And and you have happiness, and occasionally God grants by His sovereign uh, grace, he, He grants pieces or periods of joy. But the abiding joy and what I'm going to talk about right now does not apply to you. But if you are a believer, then there are promises. God has promised you things uh, based on the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the seal of the covenant that God has with us. Jesus Christ came as, as a part of who God is. And He lived a sinless life. And He died for you and I. And if we will receive 
his death in our place, his sacrifice, then we have eternal life with God. And in that, we have certain promises that are a part of the covenant. Let me illustrate it. The facts in your life may be that circumstances are really, really crazy right now. In fact, it may border on chaos for you. Those are the facts. Here's the truth. Romans 8.28 says, And we know, and we know, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. That's a promise to you. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You may not understand it. You may not, it may just be crazy. You might feel like you're over your head. But we know, those are the facts, but we know there's a promise that said God causes everything to work together for good to those who love Him. The old saying, don't sweat the small stuff, and everything is small stuff. God's got it under control. You may be facing, the facts are, you may be facing the biggest trial you've ever gone through in your life right now. It may be a relational trial, financial trial. could be any kind of a trial. You're facing the biggest trial that you have ever gone through in your life. That's the facts. Here's the truth. James 1 and verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know, there we go, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, when you know there's a purpose behind your problems, you can go through stuff. When you know that God is at work, that perseverance is being completed in you and when perseverance is complete then you can become mature and you can handle anything and you're ready for whatever is next then you can handle it that's the truth the facts are you may be facing you know financial issues that you have no way how you're going to get out here's the truth philippians 4:19 and my god shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's the facts. Either it's true or it's not. My God shall supply all it may not be in the way that you think and it may not be in the timing that you're comfortable with. But if you'll quit worrying, start trusting, God shall supply all of your need. Maybe you've got a bad medical report. What do you do about that? James 5, verse 14, here's here's the truth. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And their prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will make them well. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. About four years ago, God really dealt with me about how we did our services we did it like most mega churches in America because you got to get people in and out and just kind of the, you know, the, the, the way that we did them is uh, we come to the end and I'd come to the end of my message and I'd pray and we'd sing a song. I'd say, God bless you and go home. And God said, no, I want to I, I connect with the people. If you'll allow them to, I'll connect. And one of the things we started doing is every week we have people who pray, who anoint with oil, elders and prayer teams, 
and pray. And they're in this auditorium. They're on the window at the end of the service, wherever you're at, at a campus, they're there. And they anoint with oil and pray. Why? Because that's the truth. Because there are people every week. You may be here and, and God is just going, why don't you allow the team to pray for you? And I want you to take advantage of that. Okay? But then you go, well, you know, I know God heals people, but I also have seen Christians who've been prayed for and they die. Guess what? Everybody I know has died. Ultimately. Do you know the mortality rate is hovering right around 100%? <laughs> Do you know your days are numbered? <laughs> you just don't know which one it is. But let's go back. Let's take it seriously. What happens when you pray and a, and a believer dies? Well, here's the truth. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1 says, For we know, we know, that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, and when we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God Himself and not by human hands. He says, we, this is a fact. We know. This is not all there is. We know that when we die, that we will get a new body made by God and sons. that will fit into slim-fit, demon-possessed shirts. (laughs) We know. That'll preach. We know. I have a pet peeve. i got to tell you this. I have a pet peeve. When I see an obituary in a paper of somebody I knew was a believer, and it says they lost their battle with cancer, I want to rip it out of the paper. They didn't lose anything. They gained eternal life through Jesus Christ. They're They're living forever with Him, with a new body. Gang, don't you ever forget, that's our destiny. This is just a small part of what we do. That's forever. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Colossians 3.2 says, Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. Can I ask you this question? What percentage of your thoughts every day are on heaven? And what percentage of your thoughts are on things down here? The verse says, Let heaven fill your thoughts. Why? Because if you don't, then you will live only for happiness. And happiness is good, but it comes and goes. And when it goes then you're going to be devastated. He says, fill your thoughts. I've got a little whiteboard in my office that says, have you thought about heaven today? Because I don't tend to. Fill your thoughts. Psalm 103, last verse on the sheet says, praise the Lord, I tell myself. (laughs) With my whole heart, I will praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, I tell myself. And never forget the good things that He does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He ransoms me from death and surrounds me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. I would imagine when He wrote that, He wasn't thinking that. When He wrote that, He was, ha- he was wondering, where is joy? Where are the good things? And He had to go, you know what? I need to remind myself of the truth. You need to remind yourself of the truth. A couple months ago, I had lunch with Matt Chandler. Um, I've just barely known Matt. Wanted to spend some time with him. Matt is a 
young pastor in Dallas, Texas, 35 years old. He's probably one of the most dynamic speakers in America. He's got this great church and his podcast. A lot of you guys download his podcast. It's the most, I think it's the most downloaded podcast on, on uh, iTunes. And just a great guy, humble guy, 35, kids, all this kind of thing. And uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, uh, he had a seizure just before Christmas and fell, hit his head. They took him to the doctor, uh, examined him, and a, and a few days later, they put him in for massive surgery. He had massive cranial uh, surgery, eight-hour surgery, removed most of a malignant cancerous tumor from his brain. The key word is most. Didn't get it all. Uh, since then, there's been a year of radiation, chemotherapy. He has no guarantees on life. One of the most profound lunches I've had, just sit down talking to him. Matt, how do you handle that? How do you, how do you walk through that? How do you lead through that? Recently, he wrote this on his blog. He said, I'll be honest, that season was terrifying. The season between when he actually passed out or had a seizure, and when they did the uh, the surgery. He said, it was terrifying, and we wept. And I wept with Lauren, my his wife, my friends, family members, partners in ministry, and by myself. Leading up to the surgery, if I saw one of my children, particularly my oldest daughter, Audrey, it was a fight to hold myself together. Under all of that fear and all of those tears, there was this quiet confidence, this firm foundation, this unshakable promise And we never lost it. The world would sink in the days and months to come. But we continually found our footing in the truth. From Romans 8, 28. That He is in control of all things. And He loves me deeply. That's walking through it with joy. Here's the truth. Everyone here in this building, the campuses, or listening to a podcast... Everyone here is just one phone call away from losing everything that sustains your current happiness. One phone call you could get would take away all of your happiness. It could for any of us. What happens then? If you've bitten from this apple then you'll be left with sadness and grief and probably despair. And that's the end of it. If you've bitten from the apple of joy, then you'll be left with perhaps sadness and grief and a joy that will sustain you in ways you never could have imagined. And you together with Nehemiah will be, under, be able to understand this truth when he says this, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy and happiness. They're two different things. Don't get them mixed up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your kingdom. I thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful group of people who are gathered together here and at the campuses. And God, I pray that in the next few moments that you would lead us into a path of honesty and righteousness. God, I pray that you would speak to us and that we would respond to you um, 
act in however you desire for that response to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.